Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. While school choice and education privatization efforts grab headlines and generate a great deal of activity at the North Carolina General Assembly, a wide array of innovative and transformative efforts are quietly underway in public school systems all across North Carolina. This week, we're going to introduce you to the state's first renewal school district that was granted broad flexibility and local control to redesign how their schools operate. We're also going to meet the CEO of the Innovation Project that is working with superintendents and districts across the state to implement new practices in the schools that they lead. Now, before we topic our main topics, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. State education leaders are asking North Carolina lawmakers to step in to prevent the temporary layoff of teachers who work for the state's North Carolina virtual public school. The good news is that just before we were uh, taping this week's episode, it looks like a fix may have been found. Teachers who are working this summer at the virtual public school were notified last week that they were not going to be allowed to work this fall semester. But the state uh, apparently has found a workaround so that those teachers won't lose pay and it won't affect the more than 7,000 students who will be taking online classes this fall. We'll certainly update you if that changes. The dispute over a new online reading assessment tool for K-3 students continues. Last week, we told you that State Superintendent Mark Johnson had rejected a protest from Amplify, the company that had been providing the tool to assess reading proficiency, but lost that contract to Texas-based iStation. Amplify has now asked the state's Department of Information Technology to throw out the three-year, $8.3 million contract to iStation that they say was given through an unfair process. Finally, a Wake County parent is being sued by a math curriculum company for, quote, libel and slander after he criticized that their product that is being used in Wake County schools. An attorney for the Utah-based Mathematics Vision Project, or MVP, said the company decided to sue parent Blaine Dillard after he made false statements about the company. It's actually eerily similar to a move just two weeks ago when iStation attorneys sent cease and desist letters to three vocal critics of its product, including a Charlotte area teacher. Dillard says he is innocent of all allegations. Now, remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, charter schools and private school vouchers may seem to get the most attention these days when it comes to new ideas in education, but the fact is there's some pretty amazing things happening in our state's public schools, and we have some terrific guests to tell us more about it. And the first one is Dr. Lynn Moody. She is the superintendent of Rowan Salisbury School System. So welcome to Education Matters. Thank you. Thanks for, I'm really glad you're here. Um, I mentioned in the upfront that uh, you're the state's first renewal school district, and so hopefully when we're done in the next few minutes, our viewers will know what that means. But uh, just uh, a couple of setups for just to, that I'm going to do. A few years ago, uh, the state began allowing districts to apply for restart status for their chronically low-performing schools, schools that weren't meeting their, uh, uh, you know, sort of their, their school performance grades, their growth, to permit more local control and flexibility. It actually started, you know, as you know, back under Race to the Top uh, through federal funding. Uh, but then things were, um, you know, so a lot of districts did that, including you, right? Uh, right. Uh, Rowan Salisbury started out with just a handful of schools. Right. So we took advantage of every opportunity we could for Restart. Any school that was eligible for it, we applied for it. 
um, and then had an interesting conversation about uh, with a couple of key uh, people in the General Assembly about charter-like flexibility across a district so that you weren't just doing restart in a number of schools. At one point, almost half of our schools were in restart. Okay. And so, yeah, so you mentioned, I know that I know uh, former Senator Michael Lee was one of them. There were some others that were involved, I think Deanna Ballard, maybe Craig Horn. But so they talked to you about this. You were looking at, again, you already, so you had some familiarity with the process. Um, and again, um, from, from what I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, there are through the restart process and I guess now through re the renewal school district process, there are four areas that that you can get flexibility on. And I want to really talk about them each if we can. Curriculum, Curriculum. budget, mm -hmm. personnel, and calendar. Now I'm assuming you've had to prioritize those <laughs> things and which ones um, you want to focus on first. But tell me a little bit about those, like like curriculum budget, sort of what are the what does that mean um, for an uh, you know, experienced superintendent like yourself right, to so have we, that? We can select our curriculum. Uh, we, are, we do get some reductions in some standardized testing in the North Carolina uh, final exams, and we have chose to, to take that option, just like restart schools can do those. Um, and then in our budget, we get all of our money in one pot. We don't, we're not restricted in any category. We get all of our state funding, and then we can decide what to do with that. Um, our hiring process, we can make decisions to hire people who are not by the state considered highly qualified okay. as we make those decisions. And then we can adopt any calendar without restrictions to calendar laws. Pretty much anything a charter school is able to do, we are able to do. Well, let me ask you about that. And well, I know, and I, know, I mean, there are certain things, at least I know one that, I've, that has been pointed out. Used to, I mean, public schools um, do provide transportation, and right. so that's something right. you still have to do. Right. But now, I talked to a lot of superintendents. We've had them on the show about various things, and they all there are a couple of things that they mention, like sort of on the tops of their wish list calendar flexibility. Mm -hmm is always one that comes up with. This has come up in the legislature several times, and the other one is budget. I mean, do you have, um, I don't know, do you have a favorite? I mean, the other one, when you think about, okay, if I only had to pick one or two, what has been, what, I guess, what would be the most helpful, and what are you finding so far? And we're gonna talk about where you are in the process that you think is um, uh, most significant. Well, it's important to understand you can't really separate them that way. Okay. Um, because they all interrelate. And if you don't have the flexibility in all of the areas, it will still pull you back in another area. So calendar is an easy one because everybody, it's a hot topic and oh, everybody sure. wants calendar flexibility. It's really helped us increase the number of students who are getting dual enrollment with community college. So it's an important flexibility, but it has a very small effect size compared to some of the other flexibilities. Right. Curriculum has a, a much larger effect size and certainly budget controls all of those processes. So we're in, um, in our renewal, uh, we have developed a new directional system, and I'd like to share a little bit about where we're headed, but we're untangling all of those systems and using flexibility in every area to do it. Well, I do, I want to get into where you're heading because um, one of the reasons why you're here in uh, the state capitol uh, this week, not just to come okay. see us here at Education Matters, but you actually spoke to the State Board of Education to give them an update, I believe. Tell us where, you, so this, you started, or I guess it was, um, the legislation happened to give the approval to do this, and then, of course, the state board had to approve your own board of education in Rowan. So that happened, what, a little over a year ago? Just about a year ago, exactly, okay. to this day. We've been off and running for a year. And you mentioned, I know, to, you know it was actually today when we were taping, um, you talked about um, your directional system. Right. What is that? So in 
Uh, in our directional system, we're looking at three different things. Um, we, um, it, part of the problem with changing and innovation in schools and the laws that are created around those is everything's tied to standardized testing. So all of our eggs are in one basket, so to speak. Pay, hiring, it's all infused to an outcome or an accountability towards standardized testing. So we flip that. We've looked at a directional system first, and then we'll talk about an evaluation and accountability model for that. In our directional system, we have three things. The first thing is uh, academic skills, just like every other school district, the teaching and learning, the core. We've identified fundamental standards in English and math, and next year we'll do science and social studies. We believe that there are a lot of standards. There are too many standards in the North Carolina curriculum to teach and do well. So we want to guarantee to our local community that we will go deeper on fewer of those that we think are the most important. Right. Uh, example that I use in Math 3, uh, a standard is vectors. Nice to know, but you don't have to have it for every career pathway. But figuring out and calculating a percentage is very important. Right. So we'll slow down and go deeper in those fundamental standards. That's it. On, the, on the standards, and I'm glad you brought up testing too, because that's you know that's one of the things that we've talked about on the show. Some, I mean, there is uh, obviously there has been some call and push for less testing, and I, I mean that seems to be becoming more popular. Um, I know our organization um, with the forum, we've actually been talking and been more concerned about how those test scores are used, and that was kind of what you were alluding to. I think is they they've gotten so embedded into everything around teacher evaluation and pay and all those things that um, it sounds like to me you're trying to, I don't know, I want to say get back to basics, but what, what, right. do, what do the students need to right. know? Right, and we're trying to untangle that whole web that's been too far to that left side of standardized testing for too long. Um, the second thing, uh, our areas, and we think all these things are equally important, we're going to focus on our students' unique smartness and their talents and their passion. Uh, all of our students will have a portfolio and evidences of their work instead of just a standardized test. They can show you what they know how to do. Right. Um, so we'll be really proud of that and, and give students time to develop that passion in, in grades kindergarten through 12th grade. And then the third area is interpersonal skills. We'll spend equal time on seven interpersonal skills that we have identified, things like teamwork and collaboration and creativity and work ethic. Um, we've developed rubrics uh, for kindergarten through 12th grade. They look different for second grade than 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And we will focus on those interpersonal skills and help students understand where they're at. We think academic skills gets you the job. Interpersonal skills helps you keep it. And a passion will keep you engaged in oh, that learning. That, that makes sense to me. Now, one of the, um, from what I understand, all of these things came about through um, teacher-led teams. It did. We have teacher-led teams at all of our schools. And it took us a year to develop our directional system about what we thought was important and where we wanted to go. And we obviously involved our community in that conversation as well. So now that we have that directional system, we're putting other processes and procedures in place so that we can actually do the things that we want to do. Now, it's early days. I mean, you mentioned involving the community, which is great. And what has been the reaction? Are, they, are there more, some that are more engaged that they sort of, well, I don't know what this is, or we're going to see how it goes. I mean, what do you, what do you think? That, what's the vibe right now? We've had a tremendous amount of support. Um, our parents are early on um, in interviewing and surveying our parents. They're really excited about what we're doing. They believe it's better for their children. They're more excited about the education that they think that we're going to deliver in the next year because it's very personalized towards their child and less robotic, less scripted, less standardized. 
um, because the focus is on their child. Well, I, we're going to definitely check back in with you, and you know, no pressure. But a lot of I think a lot of uh, lawmakers and policymakers are going to be looking at Rowan Salisbury to see how you do with all of this, and I think some other districts are going to might want to follow suit. So, well, we're hoping other gonna... people will join in and give us <laughs> ideas as well. So, right. well, Doctor Moody, we like, really appreciate you coming on. I seriously want to I want to uh, keep up with you and then have you back on right. maybe later at the end of the We'd year and see to. how things go. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you. When we, after a commercial break, we're going to be back and we're going to continue our discussion about innovation in our public schools with the head of the Innovation Project, Ann McCall. Welcome back to Education Matters, and joining us now is friend of the show, Ann McCall. Ann is the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of the Innovation Project. Uh, 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 it's an organization, an initiative that's really working with school superintendents and districts all across the state, well, to innovate and to sort of help support. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it, uh, Now, you heard us talking um, a bit um, uh, to Dr. Moody about Restart Schools. In fact, I remember... Yes. I guess it was maybe 2016, you and I talking right. about this because this was, I think, is it fair to say, I mean, the Innovation Project did in some ways start as a way to take advantage, to help schools take advantage of that restart option? Is that part of your um, origin story? Yeah. Uh, we started with superintendents saying to us they wanted some help finding ways to have more flexibility. And so as we started looking into different options, we realized that the restart law was on the books but hadn't been used. Uh, and at that time, Dr. June Atkinson was state superintendent. She worked with us some on looking at the application that we could put together. State board was amenable to developing its policy. So within a few months, we had a process and our first restart schools ready to go. If I remember correctly, there was, there were some, because it sort of came out of the uh, race to the top and, and right. the, the, the restart stuff, it kind of scared some people off, scared some superintendents off a little bit because for restart, you kind of had to more or less hire an outside cons uh, consultant or company to run your school. I mean, in many ways, it, it almost felt like some of these uh, sort of takeover efforts. And so this seemed like the restart, they were going to be in control, and we're, but we're going to get all this new flexibility. Um, so, that, so how did this sort of, what does the innovation project now from that look like today? I mean, sort of what is mm -hmm. it, sort of how has it been formalized? So with the restart, that was one of our major initiatives, and it fit in this um, effort to create a space of innovation for superintendents. Uh, it was one of the things that we started, uh, but we asked our superintendents, what else do they want to think about? And so there's a number of other pressing issues where the belief was that if we brought together a group of forward-thinking superintendents, understood what the parameters were, and uh, I'm a lawyer and used to think about state policy, as are some of my colleagues, that we could figure some things out. And right. uh, so that's really what we've been doing since 2015. All right. Well, and look, we don't make any bones about it on this show. We love public schools. Mm -hmm. We think our public schools are awesome. I also think that our public schools, um, there's a lot of great things that are going on yes. that people don't know about. Yes. We're going to try to fix some of that tonight. Great. Tell me some things that are going on that you're working on that are really cool that people should know about. So let's talk about teachers. So. Uh, one part of the teacher pipeline that has been ignored in, at the state level is really looking at how to create opportunities for teachers to grow and develop and have a reason to get rooted in a community. So we worked with NC State who had become a partner with us and were able to get a $1.84 million grant from the National Science Foundation. And the reason was 
they saw a real innovation in what we wanted to do, which was a five-year program of working with these teachers where they would get the opportunity to get a master's degree from NC State if they didn't already have a master's. They would get their national board certification. They would get leadership coaching and training. They would have summer activities. They would get a stipend every year of around $11,000. They would get time off from teaching in their first year. So just think about that. Well, I mean, well, I mean we know like, the, the uh, professional development, I mean, schools are really no different than companies. When things are leaner, that ends up going by the wayside. Our teachers have been kind of um, ignored in That's sort right. of PD for a while. Well, and to take these, uh, these teachers are high school mathematics teachers, some of our most important teachers when we think about what we're trying to accomplish for our kids and making sure they're ready to, to, for their next level of learning. And to give them a reason to stay in a community for five years, when you talk to superintendents like uh, Kim Morrison and Mount Airy, it's really hard to get them. Yeah. And to give them a reason to stay in that community for five years, start getting their family growing there. Right. It's, that's part of what we're able to do with a program like that. And our hope is in that five years, people will be able to see what the benefits are. And as a state, we can start looking at doing those kind of programs. Yeah, and it's always, it's always bothered me. Look, not everybody wants, to, wants to, to, to go back and work where they grew up. I mean, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But people ought to be able to do that if they want to. That's right. Right, and I feel like in, in many ways, because of the two North Carolinas in terms of the economy, because of some of the way schools are funded in some ways, they're really like Wake County, Charlotte-Mecklenburg mm -hmm. schools, the bigger districts end up drawing the teachers in and away from those districts. That's right. so. Well, another program we have is our TIP Teaching Scholars, which is also with NC State, where um, I'll give you the example of uh, Cabarrus County. Uh, Dr. Chris Lauder, superintendent there, was concerned that it was so hard to get students from NC State. They just didn't even know about Cabarrus. And so our program works with juniors in their program it gives them a chance to get a uh, contract signed early on. They begin to work with that district in their junior year. They come in the summer, get to know the district, so that they're ready and excited about going there when they graduate. Chris has really taken it to another level. Uh, looking at this opportunity, he knew that housing would be an issue for these students because they weren't from Cabarrus they, and they were coming from Raleigh. So he repurposed a building and has a residential building now for teachers. Okay. And it's housed right now with his three students that are from NC State. That's great. Yeah, so I, th I think it may have been um, uh, Dr. Jackson from, I think from Vance, and he was talking about walking through the gymnasium one time on career day and seeing all the different tables and trucks and different things set up. And, he, and it all of a sudden dawned on him, we're not even in there. Right. We're not even doing a good job as public school, as the public school system to encourage, like you said, juniors and you know, in high mm -hmm. school to think about uh, careers in education. So, Yeah, we want to find different ways to support them. Um, some of the other things we've done more in that area include our virtual academy uh, collaborative. Uh, so you were just hearing from Dr. Moody talking about how they want to focus on curriculum in a different way. We also heard that uh, Dr. Moody is in TIP and she and other superintendents said we want to be able to go deep and we want to be able to provide individualized instruction uh, we don't have the kind of curriculum we need. And teachers right now are kind of on their own to develop a lot of that curriculum. And so we brought teachers together from our different districts, and they have put together these modules of material on our key courses, Math 1, 2, 3, English 1 and 2, Biology. And those are now being used in our TIP districts. They're being used. Uh, Freddie Williamson in Hope County loves to use it because they have a one-on-one -on -one initiative and it gives them the resources, allows them to increase their instructional day. Um, 
And as we think about hurricane season and uh, disruptions to schooling, having resources that are ready to go that we can get available to those students is going to become really important. Do you have any districts that are doing any special work on engaging the community uh, more into the schools? Yes. Because that's one thing I, I you know, as, as a, you, know, you know, my daughter's art has, has gone through the K-12, but I think I mean, we're, most of the times we're dealing with parent, both parents working, busy, some folks just don't feel as comfortable, don't have the time to go into schools, and so there does, and then we, you know, with, with sort of magnets and choice right. and things, there's not as much as a, of a cohesion. Yes. What are you, what are y'all doing with some of the districts around that? So one of the other initiatives that we've had since the beginning is really thinking about the changing education landscape. And in a lot of contexts, if you're thinking about it at state policy, it's who's getting the funding and what are the best legislation for these things. For us, we're thinking about the hub of the community and that the school district needs to be that hub of the community. And our districts have really taken that to heart and we're seeing some great programs. So Gaston County, uh, they have a, a virtual online program, has 100 students in it now after three years. It includes a number of homeschool students who find the flexibility and the personalized learning to be right up their, um, their alley. Uh, Mount Airy, again, they, uh, they have engaged with their homeschoolers and have brought back one-third of their homeschoolers. Wow, okay. And it comes, it's not just programming, it's a change in the belief system of saying uh, all of the children in our community our you're, responsibility. You're our community. You're right. our community. We care about you. You are going to be citizens in this community and we want you to have the opportunity. So I think part of what school districts are starting to do a much better job of is being more of an open system and saying we want to find out more about your needs. We're willing to create flexible schooling, all the magnets. You know, White County of course has a flexible hour school. There's so many ways that we can rethink how we re engage the community. Quickly, last question. Are, are you excited about that? Do you see some, do you see real opportunity here? I absolutely do. The favorite part of my work is when superintendents come together, what we have is a space for innovation and that's what they want to talk about. They aren't complaining about funding. They aren't complaining about some law that doesn't work for them. They're there to talk about what they're doing. And what I see them doing is building on each other. And so we can have something like the idea of an innovative classroom that's about modular space. And then Dr. Megan Doyle and Craven takes that to another level and figures out a way to engage students and empowering them in choices and community goals. I mean, we just see how they are able to build on each other when you give them that space. Well, that's terrific. Well, well, and thanks again for coming on. We're gonna we do have a, a link to your website on our website about this right. show, so people can learn more about it and superintendents who want to be involved who are already involved. But I'm excited to hear about all the great right. things that are going on. So thanks for telling us about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. After the break, this week's final word. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. When the Public School Forum of North Carolina released its top 10 education issues for 2019, number one was renew North Carolina's commitment to public schools for the public good. The main reason why we made our, our top issue is because we felt like our state had been drifting away from its roots as a place that valued and invested in teachers and public education. It seemed too many of our state leaders had become enamored with shiny new alternatives like virtual charter schools and private school vouchers. But frankly, the other reason why we included it is because we, like, um, we think public schools are getting a bad rap. 
Too many politicians and school choice lobbyists were talking about how kids are trapped in failing schools while at the same time refusing to invest in these schools so they could have great teachers, school leaders, and additional supports for their students. One of the more maddening aspects of these shiny is are these shiny new objects often have one thing in common. They are given real flexibility and local control. Now today you heard some stories about public schools that are being given that chance. Shouldn't all of our schools have that same chance? Why is Raleigh still micromanaging school calendars? Why are they handcuffing school administrators with restrictive budgets? If we trust educators with our children, shouldn't we be able to trust them to create the best learning environments for their own communities? That's it for this week's show. Now make sure you tune in next week. We're going to take another look at the uh, looming state health plan crisis. So check in with us next week. Thanks for watching this week, and we'll see you then.